Blog Talk Radio. FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. We don't need your money to survive. We pay for the network with our own hard-earned cash. But if you want to help us grow and reach more people, just go to FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you a free network t-shirt. FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. We are your host, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Tonight we have a groundbreaking episode that has been in the works for quite some time. Ever touching on Nimrod, ever breaching the topic here around the fringes. Well, tonight we're going to put him to the task. Nimrod, slayer of giants usurper of kingdoms. So it's it's good to finally breach this topic. So many people have so many things to say about the biblical Nimrod. Who was he? Where did he come from? Uh, in the opening uh, comments privately between I and my son, uh, Aaron teased with the a title of naming this Nimrod, the bow of God. I, however, thought that, well, perhaps that might get people confused with the first writer. But as uh, Aaron covers this topic, we may just change this midstream. We may go ahead and title it that after. Well, everyone knows that we have done broadcast in the past on the flail of God and the scourge of God. So, with that in mind, Aaron... Uh, let's breach this topic. What's your opening comments on this Nimrod character? Uh, tell us what uh, you were first uh, informed about him or how you first stumbled across his path. And, uh, well, where that led to. The mic is yours. Oh, it must be been five years uh, since the first time I started looking at studying Nimrod. Um, I, I can't really say. I don't really remember when I when I first, what happened when I sort of first stumbled across it. But I've, it's one of the topics where I revisited many times. We did, uh, we did mention uh, this character in a few other shows, um, and we have since. I just felt like we needed he needed his own show and he needed to be revisited with Nimrod and because he's just um 
we're so we're told so little about him yet so much if that makes any sense well um, that that is that is true to the extreme measure i mean you take a couple of verses just a couple of verses and then compound it with the simple fact that a couple of languages we're given these verses in hebrew and then we're given these verses in greek and the biblical data is just just stretches for extreme exegesis. Uh, I mean, you talk about two verses that have caused more controversy than just about any other two verses uh, sequentially uh, in the Bible that that I know of. Uh, so that is truly uh, the statement of the day. Um, boy, uh, this this topic, this subject matter. Eventually, anyone covering biblical topics, if they don't come to grapple with Nimrod, they're really not what they claim to be. You have to look at this topic. You have to put your two cents in worth. You, you, you have to grapple with this and come to terms with what the Bible actually says uh, if you're going to be um, considered... Uh, to have any weight in biblical topics. So, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's get to the text, Aaron. It, how much does the Bible actually tell us about Nimrod? Well, Genesis chapter 10 um, gives uh, about four verses describing him. He's um, mentioned one verse in Chronicles. And then uh, one time in Micah, and it's very vague. Uh, so we we know uh, very, like I said, very little about him yet. So much, but um, in the in the Bible, this 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 figure, well, he appears in Genesis chapter ten, verse eight. It says, "Now Cush became the father of Nimrod." He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter for the before the Lord. Therefore, it was before it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erek and Akkad, Kalneh, and in the land of Shinar. And from that land, he went forth into the Assyria, in Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth-ir and Kalah and Rezin and between Nineveh and Kalah, which is the great city. Okay, so this is the um, uh, the NASB translation, which is uh, proved to be garbage when you look at the Septuagint. The Septuagint offers the uh, an alternative interpretation of it. So the word for mighty one in Hebrew is Gabor. In Hebrew, it is a word for giant. So the Greek, having translated this word, has used the Greek word uh, gigantes, which means the earthborn. They were, um, well, it's where we get our word giant. They were thought to be, well, literally born by the goddess of the earth or something like that. And But it makes a lot of sense when it when it, it ties in with the, the idea of the Nephilim, these these children, these fatherless children born by something not of, of this planet, by a mother of this planet. 
So this this word gigantes is is very perfect describing them. So with that, we instead of saying mighty one, I'm just going to say giant. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a giant on the earth. He was a giant hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a giant hunter before the Lord. Now, okay, so people are going to say that this uh, was a translator of the Septuagint, and this, you know, may have disagreed, and it might be the, might have been his personal opinion. But the same word for mighty hunter or Gabor hunter is used in uh, Chronicles, First uh, Chronicles one verse ten, and it says again, a giant on the earth. That's what it calls him. Um, in Micah chapter five verse six, Assyria is referred to as the land of Nimrod. So who is this fig? Who is this figure? Who is he? Okay, so you will read in. Uh, various legends that he is thought to be the um, uh, person who constructed the Tower of Babel. This is based purely on the fact that he um, is said to, uh, his kingdom started in the land of uh, of Babel or Babylon. Uh, it, it really, really, really all it says is Babylon, but they just render it Babel because, you know, they, they'd certainly like it for it to say that. But So what what are your comments on that? Well, I certainly agree with everything you've stated so far. Um, he made his place there in the, well, Shinar. We already stated that, that valley. Where all the above was, that is most certainly correct. The real problem is this this crossover between, well, so he was a giant and he was a giant killer. Is it stating that he gained equal status as a giant because he was a killer of them? He was a slayer of giants, therefore he was equal uh, in nature. Uh, much like, uh, well, uh, we know that today uh, the big game hunters, uh, they are reckoned uh, to be, well, uh Lions or, or, or tigers, figuratively speaking, but the text itself doesn't, doesn't live credence to that, that, that was just, um, a symbolic term there in the verses you read. It definitely said that, well, he was a giant and, and that means something. Now going back to, uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, we know that, uh, the seed could be polluted even to the fourth generation. So it, it 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 makes you wonder that there's a great big consternation here. If he was a giant, he could not be pleasing to the Lord, but yet it plainly states that he was a giant hunter before the Lord. As if he was, well, well, we just have to let the rubber hit the road. Either he was a giant that had chosen to do the right thing. Or he was a giant that was under commission of the Lord to hunt these these giants. Well, I mean, I, I'm thinking I, I, do, I do have a one theory that might stand with what you're saying. So David's mighty men, they are called Geborim. So the same word for giants, 
in Hebrew, but um, I've, I've kind of grappled this with uh, they these mighty men did fight giants, so perhaps it was it was it, it was meant to say that he was that he was a that he was a gibor, therefore he became a giant hunter, or but but you couldn't really see that in the couldn't really translate that very well into Greek and 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 have the reader understand what's trying to be said. I don't know. That's 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 an idea, but there's but there's uh, something that stood out to me. You know, I, I was actually talking to my older sister about a story I wanted to write, and uh, the conversation caused me to revisit Nimrod. Something that stood out was in the uh, verses before this, Cush's sons are all described. It says uh, uh, in verse seven, the sons of Cush were Seba, Havila. Sabta, Rama, and Sabteka, and the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. So, and then it goes on to eight. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. Okay, so it's like he separated from the other sons of Cush. And it says that, I mean, so could this be saying that Cush wasn't the literal father? Did he adopt Nimrod for whatever reason? Um, another, another suggestion I had was like in a lot of Greek myths or other other myths, a demigod was was often a son of a, a, an affair of his of the child's mother with another with a god. Um, so, like for instance, in the instance with Perseus, it was thought that Perseus's mother was married, but his mother had a relationship with uh, with Zeus, and then uh, because of the relationship, Perseus was basically thrown away and uh, meant to be killed. But for whatever reason, he survived. So perhaps this is some a similar type of situation. Uh, he was he wasn't literally the son of Cush, but he was the son of the wife of Cush. What do you think of that? Well, we have historical precedents for this. Um, unfortunately, down through the years, there have been highly anomalous children that have been born. For example, you might have a Mexican family, and uh, they have a baby, and all of a sudden this baby is, you know, got blonde hair and blue eyes. Or uh, you might have a, a purely... Uh, Boy, I'm trying to be politically correct when I say this, uh, not you know, not getting people too riled up. But there have been uh, instances of this of, of well, uh, Caucasian families uh, giving birth to what is seemingly uh, a a baby that is uh, half something else, whether it be uh, Native American or or African or whatever, uh, even Asian. Uh, which has caused many problems in the past. So we do have uh, historical precedents for babies like this being born uh, due to recessive genes. Um, and a good case about this is red-headed children, uh, which normally skip a generation. Normally, a red-headed mother will not have red-headed children. It'll skip a, skip a generation, and this is a very good example of uh, people thinking uh, that 
that these uh, wives have had affairs. So we do have precedence that way. And this also would lend credence just like Perseus. Perseus was, was still loved by his dad, even though his dad was not his father. Uh, so he chose to uh, protect, uh, to serve humanity. So is that what we're looking at here? That's possible. I, I but um, yeah, that's that's possible. We're, um, I'll actually um, have several different different suggestions. Really, this goes back to uh, we we have always taught. My dad has always taught that there was uh, two incursions. The first happened before the flood, and then the second incursion, where angels uh, incursion is referring to when fallen angels took you know had children. Second incursion occurred after the flood. But uh, the before during the medieval times, the the Jews understood that that somehow uh, they were able to survive the the flood. Um, uh, of course, I always put that down because the scripture says very clearly that all life, everything that had in its breath and its lungs, uh, died because of the flood. So. I'm actually going to visit those those different uh, ideas. So some say that so this idea of some believe that Og of Bashan was a survivor of the flood, based on Deuteronomy 3:11, which says he was the last of the Rephaim, um, and and then they connect him to Genesis chapter 14 verse 13, a certain one who escaped or fugitive. The Hebrew word is palit went to Abraham and warned him that his brother, uh, his nephew Lot had been taken from Sodom during the the War of the Nine Kings. And so it was thought that this, this, this figure actually was not a person, literally someone who escaped, but referring to Og, Og who um, escaped the flood. Um, there's that theory. Then the next one is that some said Ohiah, the son of Samyaza, survived the flood because he helped Noah build the ark. Afterwards, he fathered Og. The Genesis Rabbah says that Ham took the wife of Ohiah as his own wife, who made Noah promise to rescue her son Og. The next one, which I find most convincing, is the idea that um, Ham's wife already had the child in her womb, a Nephilite child already in her womb um, while she was on the ark. That sounds most convincing to me because she wouldn't really be numbered among, because this child wouldn't be really numbered among the ones on the ark, and uh, he would not have died out there on, in, in the floodwaters. And then one I suggested by myself is that this was a child of uh, a cloven. So this idea of a ham taking a wife of a Nephilite or, an, uh, or a fallen angel, one of the two, uh, implies that he took a Nephilite, uh, they took a cloven uh, person. If you, if you haven't, if you don't know what a cloven is, uh, refer to another show that we did. It, it's basically if a angel has relationship with a woman, that woman becomes, becomes basically partially attached genetically to the angel. 
and it basically corrupts them and turns them into what is understood as a demoness or something of that, of that sort. The Book of Enoch refers to them as sirens, um, but uh, that's um, yeah. If, if you want to learn more about that, there's another show. But possibly Ham did have a child by this woman that was uh, a, what is called a Cambian. A Cambian is the son of a human, a human man, and uh, a, a cloven woman understood alternatively as the son of a, of a man in a succubus if, if you have uh, heard of that before so or it's possible that she had born a, a nephilite child in the past and she had stem cells uh, of that child inside of her body then eventually she had a child and that child would uh, would, would, would inherit that gene perhaps like it said, like my dad said earlier, that it was something recessive. Somehow this, it, 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 like, reached into the Hamite line. Um, and so, with all that considered, what are your thoughts about all those arguments? Well, <clears throat> I have always rejected that uh, somehow a giant survived the flood. I've always rejected that. Um, outright because, well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said that it wiped out everything. With that being stated, we have to come to grips with this cloven. But there is a third reasonable clause to explore. <clears throat> we have to realize that uh, Jude chapter 1 of course, there's only one chapter in Jude, but <laughs> for technical reasons, you still have to say Jude. Jude chapter 1 verse 7 makes it clear that the fallen had found a catch-22. Going to Genesis chapter 19 verse 4. Before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old. Then it adds the final clause. All the people from every quarter. They wanted to rape these angels. Verse 5. <clears throat> and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Why would the males do this, Aaron? Well, it is my contention that the seed of the fallen are a little bit more infectious than that of a human counterpart. In times past, it's, it's, it's long been theorized that, um, you know, it was possible uh, for someone to get pregnant, uh, especially in the bathroom, um, if there was uh, remnants on the, you know, uh, facility there if a man had had issue in the vicinity that she could sit down and somehow get pregnant. Well, it may very well be that that is the case with the fallen. That if those men was to get their hand on that seed, um, well, who knows what would be the effects. But it is quite obvious from Genesis chapter 19 that the issue of a fallen would most definitely have mass effect on even male humans. 
it could somehow take root. We don't know what this means because it just falls fallow right there in Genesis chapter 19. You're not given any more data. So with that being this, the case, that is my contention. So, so, so do you think, so, so how, why do you think that Nimrod is separated from his brothers as such? Is it saying that he was the, maybe the grandson of Cush? Or did Cush adopt him? What I'm saying here is that some way, somehow, his wife had become infected with the seed of the fallen. Not that she had had relations with the fallen, but somehow she had come into physical contact with the seed of the fallen. And it became, well, contaminated. But it would make sense that that was why, remember, Ham's uh, line was cursed. At least Canaan was, his son. But because Noah had looked at his at the, on the nakedness of his father. So, I mean, perhaps, I don't know. We know that the Bible clearly states what is called unnatural affection, correct? It is the unnatural affection of a man for a man or a woman to a woman, correct? That's exactly what you're describing. So, let's stop the bus and get out now that you drag this issue into the light. I don't have a problem with it. What you're really stating is, is that was Ham infected and did this infection from the fallen, is that what prompted these unnatural things for him to do, i.e. look at his naked father? Now, I was not prepared to talk about that. I was just going to go the natural way and say that somehow the mother had been infected, but you drug this path, this into the light. So, what the Bible is really probably talking about is that Ham himself had become infected with the seed of the fault. Well, I mean, I, I kind of... I, mean, I, I theorize that a, an incubus or a person, uh, a human who has become... Uh, a, a man who has become part angel. I, I always understood that as, as referring to someone who's taken the mark of, of said angel, a person who has obtained the brand, and uh, in reference to, in the book of Revelation, the, the mark of the beast. We talked about this in other shows where, um, one of the ones where we suggested that maybe the, the DNA could have been put into the bone marrow so that they began to produce that sort of seed. Um, but the implication is, is that, well, well I, we didn't really describe the line, okay? So Ham became the father of Cush. Cush was the firstborn son of Ham of, as far as we know. And Cush became the father of Nimrod. And so, so somewhere along the line, it wasn't Ham himself, but somehow his line... Uh, or something like that. Uh, as far as maybe maybe we should uh, bring out the other aspects of the story and revisit this later on, shall we? Well, most certainly, if it will lead if it will lead to edification, well, we certainly will. But uh, 
I've got to bring this up. Ladies and gentlemen, go to according to the scripture.wordpress.com. Look for chimeras for the scapegoat because what Aaron just referenced is real. A gentleman named Chris Long was given a bone marrow transplant and he literally his his seed became the seed of the donor that gave him the bone marrow. Imagine, if you will, what I'm saying here is, what would the seed of the fallen do? So, what Aaron's refuse, this is real. You can go to the website, check out the article that is published on it. Just do a search for this, Chimeras for the Scapegoat. Somehow, and Aaron and I are saying we don't know how, but either the mother, someone, had been infected and Genesis chapter 19 gives credence to that, that it would have effects, and they knew it would have effects. To make a long story short is this. For some reason, it was not Nimrod's fault, and he found himself to be before the Lord. That's all we know, and we accept it. So, definitely in the future, uh, if we can uh, shed more light on this, uh, provide the Ecclesia with even more edification, we certainly will do it, Eric. So back to you. Okay, so we, sadly, the only place you can really seem to find the rest of the story of Nimrod seems to be from studying history and in studying legend and studying mythology. Because there are certain archetypes which appear throughout the world that are so similar, it makes you think, maybe it actually happened. And I have come to that conclusion that this... I've actually talked with, with people before about how the, a lot of legends that you have today were based on things that were seen in the heavens, things that happened politically, a lot of, a lot of things like that. So, Nim, though Nimrod is, there are, it's very arguable if you can ever find an instance of a human uh, historical document referring to Nimrod, he appears without a doubt as a god in Mesopotamian religion. And among the Sumerians, his name is Ninurta. The, the, uh, how the similarity of this name is mind-boggling, how much Ninurta sounds so much like Nimrod. Uh, but not only that, he is the god of hunting. He uh, was the fighter of demons. He was a patron of, of Kala or Kalak, um, which, which was, of course, as we mentioned before, he built that, the town of Kalak. He killed the demon Asag. He defeated Anzu, who stole the tablets of destiny from Enlil. Enlil meaning uh, the same as Baal for Bel. Anzu sounds a bit like it contains the the name of Azazel, Zu. Um, you, you'll see that throughout demonology is that the, the name Zo or Zu or um, Azazel that that the, those those forms appear all over the place, and we see it's bear, born in the name of this this demon that he that Ninurta battles. And it also mentions that he fights a dragon with many heads. So that kind of uh, kind of alludes to something, gives a little foreshadowing. 
Marduk is another god in uh, among Sumerian religion. Marduk, you can see the relation to of this figure to Nimrod within his very name. Nimrod uh, and Marduk bear the same root word, marod, which means uh, to rebel. Again, this figure appears as a slayer of a dragon. Um, there's Ogias, or Ohia, who escaped the flood and slew Leviathan, according to the uh, Book of the Giants and according to the Book of Ogias. Um, there's Apollo, the god of the sun in Greek mythology, who slew the dragon Python with arrows. So those are all like um, figures like that. And then there's, uh, there's Ninus, the legendary uh, founder of Nineveh, which would make him the same as Nimrod, because Nimrod was the founder of Nineveh. He's the son of Belus, or Bel, so it's possible that Ninus is also the same. There's Ur-Nemu, which is pretty much, if you, if you switch, if you invert uh, Ur to after Nemu, then, then it's Nemur, and it sounds a bit like Nimrod right there. He's, an author, he's the author of the first law of code known to man. And uh, he, he was said to have defeated his former rulers in Uruk. And as we also read in Genesis, that he took his kingdom in Uruk, or Erek. Um, and that implies, perhaps, a war between him and the giant Gilgamesh. Um, and then there's Zeus, of course, who defeated Kronos, his giant father, and became the new chief god. In Armenia, there's a legend of Hayek, which is the legendary founder of Armenia. He killed Bel, killed him with an arrow um, in, in battle. So all these archetypes refer to, basically, are described as the illegitimate son of a giant tyrant who um, killed a dragon, and he killed the, his father. The, the, his giant father, okay? So the, the, all, these, um, all these figures just seem, like, like seem to point to a single archetype, a certain figure who represents this Nimrod of the Bible. So what do you think, Dan? Well, I certainly think that <clears throat> this is a probable case, uh, as I've already stated. It may be that... Uh, for some reason, uh, he bore the markings of a particular giant that was known, and he had been raised by a human dad, and for some similar reason, perhaps they had the same hair color, uh, perhaps they had the same features, I don't know, perhaps they even had the same skin color, I don't know, or maybe perhaps the same eye color, because let's just say... Uh, there was a black giant, and I mean a deep, deep black giant. Um, uh, very dark, very dark uh, complexion that, let's say, strangely enough, had blue eyes. Well, let's say that uh, Nimrod, when he was born, had the same color of blue eyes. There must have been something that was similar about his appearance, and he went on to later kill that giant that it was supposed that he was the son of. I don't know. Uh, that being, it's possible that was either literal or figurative, uh, that uh, 
uh, it was known which giant was his dad. We we just don't know. Uh, like I stated, somehow that that line got corrupted, and it would seem that uh, the seed of the fallen had a way of bonding and granting well special powers. We don't know what those powers might have been. It might have been. Just a sense of euphoria. It could have extended your life. We have no idea what that seed would do to a male human or a female human that had come in contact with it. So, that being stated, uh, this probably is what happened. Uh, this, this thread permeates through too many historical chain of events. So, I would say that either he looked like um, the giant that he killed, or he really was the son of that giant, uh, even though he had been raised by a human dad. So that's that's what I think, Aaron. Back to you. Okay. So the next figure is Bell or Bale. Um, some people pronounce Bale as Baal. In Hebrew, it should be pronounced Baal. Uh, B-A-A-L, you'll see that throughout the scriptures, this figure frequently appears as the, um, as the god that the Hebrews continually go after instead of the true god. And then you find in other documents that there was a little bit of syncretism going on. So why, why did people start putting uh, Baal and uh, Asherah inside the temple of God and desecrating it? Well, I think it's, uh, well, there's been some archaeological discoveries to how, that showing how they were doing syncretism with the, uh, with the Canaanites. They weren't just turning and, you know, just worshipping the, this completely other religion. They were trying to put it together with their religion. So they believed that, uh, the, the true God of the Old Testament had a wife named Asherah and that, uh, Baal was his son. And, you know, of course, this is this is this is untrue and this is evil. But this is this is really what was going on, and it was based on the syncretism of the fact that um, uh, El of the of Sumerian mythology and uh, surrounding myths, El, God in the Bible is called El as well. And so, when you read about this El in, in, in the in the Mesopotamian texts, it's not really the same figure, not the same person. But you, but the fact that both the God of the Old Testament and him are called the same name uh, at times, then they they syncretized and made them the same figure. So uh, in, in the there's a certain book called the Baal Cycle, and in the Baal Cycle, El was the ruler of the gods, and like in Greek mythology, uh, the Mount Olympus, a Mount Zephon or the mountain of the north was where he ruled. But Baal uprooted uh, his father's uh, authority on top of Mount uh, Zephon, and he became the new god, basically. And then it moves on to a war between him and uh, the god of death, Mot. So, but this, this figure, Baal, represents um, the fact that he's called, uh, it's on the top of Mount Zephon, is like crazy how much that points directly to Isaiah chapter 14, where it says, 
um, where it says, how you have fallen from heaven, O Halil, son of Shakar. And, and then it says that he would make his, his throne in the assemblies of the north, on, uh, no, the, on the mountain of assembly in the recesses of the north. Or the same word as north is Zephon as well. So this, this Baal cycle seems to point directly to that, which makes me think that it refers to the Tower of Babel. And um, so I, uh, we'll, we'll get there, okay? Next there is Kronos, that he, this, this archetype meets. This Kronos is rebelled against Uranus, who's the chief god of tyranny. Uh, and, and, this, and this Uranus, the word uh, in Greek is Uranos, and it means heaven. So basically, heaven seems to represent the angels. And this Kronos, or Bell figure, he rebels against the angels. And uh, Kronos is known as having a wife named Rhea. Um, certain texts, um, certain Christian texts uh, state that Rhea was actually an Assyrian woman. Um, so this giant had taken an Assyrian woman as a wife. And he started killing his children because there had been some sort of oracle to that, some sort of prophecy that his son would kill him and defeat his reign and overcome his reign. He w- but he was defeated by Zeus, his only son, who was, who escaped, who was rescued and raised um, in secret. And he eventually uh, avenged his, his family and, um, and became the new God or in place of his father. In, uh, the Sublime Oracles, Kronos was pretty much in charge of the Tower of Babel's building. The Titans were. So it seems that they this, oversaw this type of thing. The next figure he, he, he matches is Typhon. He uprooted Zeus's godhood from Mount Zephon, say the same mountain here, but Typhon was eventually killed and Zeus restored. Typhon, the name Typhon seems to closely relate to the, Greek, the Hebrew word Zephon in its spelling. Then, of course, there is Belus. Um, in, so Bel was understood as either a giant or a human king who was either the ruler of Babylon or Assyria, and was the father of Ninus. He was also killed by Hayek with an arrow. Um, so it seems to refer to this tyrannical uh, demigod or false demigod or whatever, a Nephilite. And then moving on, we have what the Bible calls him. Isaiah 14, chapter 12, it calls him the son of the dawn or son of Shachar in Hebrew, and it says he would ascend, he, he said to himself that he would ascend above the stars of heaven. In the poem, in a Canaanite poem of Shahar and Shalem, um, this Shahar is said to have been the son of El, literally, but perhaps this refers to not a literal relationship, but like referring to if they're called sons of El, they're saying sons of God. 
as in angels, that the shikar was an angel who came out of heaven and had this child. Um, we know very, very little about him. So what are your thoughts about this, this, this monster here, this, this giant that seems to have, uh, it seems that he had this illegitimate child and um, he was rescued from his hand because he started trying to kill his children for whatever reason. And so well, what do you think about that? I don't really have much to commentate on that one. Um, it would seem natural that he would try to extinguish all uh, contenders to the throne. And like I stated, uh, perhaps Nimrod bore similar appearance to him, either hair color or something. And everyone, well, let's just put this into context. What if everyone that was born that had red hair wound up being 12 foot tall? I'm just saying what if. So every time his father saw a child with red hair, he'd kill that child. This is what I'm trying to say. Was this what was happening? Uh, or maybe uh, if the child was born and it had slanted eyes like an Asian, they killed it because that's what the father looked like. The father had these slanted eyes. I don't know. I don't have enough data to put into this matrix of information that, that we're streaming here. So it's hard for me to say. All I can say is this. Somehow this giant got a clue that another Nephilite would be able to contend his throne. So he was killing uh, anyone that he thought might be uh, of angelic descent. That is highly probable. So what if he was... Uh, so so we, I mentioned how often the lives of a demigod in Greek mythology specifically start with them being chased off by their father because uh, by their, uh, you know, because they're being threatened, their life is threatened, and then they eventually avenge themselves on, uh, on, on that person for whatever reason. So what if, kind of like Perseus, he was adopted by Cush because, you know, he's, he was fleeing, his mother was fleeing from, uh, from, from his father, uh, and, I mean, that, that would actually make a lot of sense. If that's what was going on here, if there was an adoption type thing, because you see that as an archetype throughout many mythologies. Right, and that well, I've already stated that 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 case. We have this historical uh, data that sometimes these children would be born, and you would be thinking to yourself that this woman obviously had an affair when she had not. What you're stating is the other side of the equation that that uh, this woman was fleeing. She was pregnant, but nobody knew she was pregnant yet, and and Cush took her for a wife, uh, not knowing what had happened before. Yes, that 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 is quite possible, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's always another catch twenty two that that could have happened to you. So yes, I agree that could very well be what a, what you know, a good possibility. Back to you. Okay, so the final archetype here is the dragon. Um. This is all over the place. 
this figure, this uh, Nimrod type archetype, seems to have always have challenged some sort of. So, the next archetype here is the dragon, and you see that throughout throughout the the stories that this Nimrod figure also challenged a dragon, and in the Ugaritic texts, it's referred to as Lotan, or equivalent to the Hebrew word Leviathan. He's a seven-headed dragon slain by the figure Hadad. Uh, in the Book of the Giants, he appears as, a, as being slain by Ohia. The next one is Python, uh, and you see that in Greek mythology. It gives an interesting story. It says that he was born out of an egg from the mud of the flood. It can be confused as between a male and a female, so it is understood that there were two pythons, or that one that the male one was Typhon and the female was Python. Uh, it was sent by sent by Hera to kill Leto because she had a child with Zeus. Uh, the, this dragon was killed by Apollo as a child as a child with his arrows, avenging his mother. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, uh, this Python is identified as a demonic entity that uh, of divination cast out by Paul. In the Old Testament, a Hebrew word pethen, sometimes translated as cobra or serpent, he is crushed by the by the Messiah in Psalms chapter ninety-one, verse thirteen. Next is Timat in the famous uh, Enuma Elish or the Babylonian Genesis. She's a she-dragon who is the mother of the gods, the consort of Abzu. Abzu is thought to be the origin of the word abyss, but it makes me wonder, it also has the word zu or zo in it. Perhaps it's pointing to Azazel again. When the gods killed Abzu, she sought revenge to avenge him by killing her children, the gods. She was slain by Marduk, who was our figure for Nimrod. The Sakunaithan, uh, it's basically a the uh, history of collection of Phoenician Phoenician mythology. This this figure, Timat, is referred to as Tadus, but it's male, a servant of Kronos who's given authority over Egypt. And then finally, Typhon, the father of monsters, the usurper of Zeus's throne upon Mount Zephon for for a time, the father of a the the husband of Echidna, Echidna meaning viper. First Timothy three verse six uses the word for Typhon, the root word for Typhon, to describe uh, the devil of sin. It says he became puffed up with conceit. Um, that word for puffed up in with conceit is basically the root word for Typhon. John the Baptist in Matthew three verse seven, and Jesus himself Matthew twelve verse thirty four called the Sadducees and the Pharisees a brood of echidnas, or a brood of vipers. Typhon is also, as I pointed out earlier, similar to Zephon, the Hebrew word for Zephon, um, the, uh, which means the north, pointing back towards Isaiah chapter 14. So, to me, what I'm seeing is this, that 
I don't know if this dragon was, I don't know, perhaps this dragon was either one of these things. It was a sort, it was a, literally a leviathan that came up out of the great deeps that bur- burst forth during the flood. Or it was another chimera that was serving um, Kronos. Or it was not literally a dragon, but just a highly deformed uh, Nephilim that was the brother of Kronos that was able to rule over Egypt. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, that's that's what I think. <clears throat> I'm more to the extent that it was a chimera. It was half angel, half animal. Uh, some sort of corruption. Basically, um, being the father's well watchdog, and Nimrod defeated it before he had to defeat his father. Um, that definitely makes sense. Uh, that makes a whole lot of sense, actually. So that's what I think, uh, that this, this dragon was probably, most certainly, a chimera, i.e. half angel, half animal. And Nimrod had to defeat it first. And perhaps that's this, this slaying of this dragon is what eventually led to the confrontation with his actual father. I don't know. But that would, that would make sense. So I'm going to say I agree with you that that's probably what what it was. It was some sort of watchdog or soldier of Kronos that he had to get through first to get to Kronos. But something that we need to remember here, that Nimrod doesn't seem to have been doing this for power. He was literally a hunter of giants. He was going out of his way to kill them. That was, that was his plan. And it seems that he fell under kingship. He was, he was killing giants who were ruling over huge kingdoms. And because of that, those kingdoms were coming, becoming part of his own. He was unintentionally putting together his own empire. And uh, that makes a lot of sense, just taking the kingdoms out of the hands of the giants. Um, so throughout, throughout this study, I'm going to state my side on the case. I think... I mean, I, I'm not saying that this is law, but I think that this Bell was the son of Shakar, who is who is an angel who fell from the first during the first incursion. I mean, the second incursion, and he had, uh, and he was the first giant and the most powerful giant during those days. He built the Tower of Babel. Uh, he had he had organized humans to do this for the purpose of him. Ascending into heaven, becoming more important than the angels. He was defeated, of course, by God um, when, the, uh, uh, when the languages were confused. Then Nimrod, and then he had, uh, and then Cronus, did this bell, this giant, did a little sleeping around, and this, uh, uh, and he either had relations with Cush's wife or Cush's daughter, and for whatever reason, Cush decided to adopt him, this child. Nimrod became his son, and Nimrod uh, set out to avenge 
his mother on uh, on this giant, and this giant, um, I guess he chose to follow God. And when you say that, um, that gives the implication that Nimrod was a good demon. When he died, would he become a demon or whatever? That, I mean, that's a very, very controversial thing, but, you know, we all have a choice. We all have a choice that we can make. Even though it's highly possible that most Nephilim were overcome by the fleshly desires and, and overcome by the sinful desires, is it possible that maybe even one of them would, just, would decide to follow the one true God and to serve him? And I don't think that's too impossible. Um, but what would happen to the spirit, I don't know. Would he be trapped on earth as other demons, or would he be allowed to enter into paradise? That sounds that makes a lot of sense to me, that he would be allowed to enter into paradise, because you see that with the Greek concept of Elysium. Uh, they were... If you uh, heroes were allowed to go there, it was considered the best part of the underworld. Basically, the Christian view of paradise. Otherwise, it's possible that he could become, when he died, he could uh, ascend to the sta- status of an angel. That's possible. So, that's, that's my interpretation. Uh, do you have uh, a certain stance that you want to stand by, or any comments on what I said? No, not in particular, as I stated uh, in the beginning. I don't know why the Bible says what it says, and I've never really minded what it said. I stand with it. So I just have to swallow what the Bible says, that for some rhyme or some reason, it states that he was a giant and that he became a hunter of giants. And this put him in good favor with the Lord. He obviously chose to do that for some rhyme or reason. And perhaps you're right. Perhaps it was his mother. I mean, who knows what really happened and who knows what what really come about. But (coughs) it would seem that this is exactly what happened. And like I said, I don't know. I don't know why the Bible says what it says what it says it just does and that's what i stand by so good stuff as far as i am concerned Uh, we have to come to grips we have to challenge ourselves we have to test our own ideas we have to throttle our own faith because if we don't well we're not standing on a firm foundation so it's imperative that we do things like this and we come to grips with what the bible says about nimrod Something did happen. And even though we don't know the actual context, I mean, (coughs) one thing is for sure, that we have by way of David and Goliath, we know that champions were sometimes chosen, right? So maybe this is why he defeated the dragon, this monster, this chimera. Perhaps that's why Nimrod did that. And once he defeated the champion, he went after his father and defeated him. I don't know. But it does make sense. Everything makes sense. When you study it, chase it down to its core, the Bible does make sense. It's everybody else that that actually confuses the text itself. So that's my thoughts, Aaron. Back to you. Well, that's all I got. This is 
Um, this is the history of all of the things that I have uh, gathered from uh, miscellaneous texts of who this giant hunter was. Uh, can we know for sure if this is true? Um, I just feel like if it's consistent enough, it's a very, very plausible to to um, believe that something that it actually did happen or something of the like did happen. Um, am I saying that other religions are true? Other religions and other myths are true. I'm I'm saying not necessarily, but parts of them maybe, or at least based on true things. There are blood myths all around the world. Even though they may differ from the scriptural interpretation, people, you know, secularists say, "Oh, it's because they added it. Uh, they just gathered it from the, from the Sumerians and all that." Well, an alternative for that is maybe it actually happened, and everyone knew that the flood happened, so they just made their various myths on it. And and the same with this Nimrod. Maybe all of the so many religions made a story about this Nimrod fighting a giant archetype exists because maybe it actually happened. So that's what I got to say. Um, I really, uh, really appreciated doing this show with y'all and God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, sorry for the technical difficulties we had, especially with Aaron's mic, but please take note that he is currently in college, and uh, we're doing this long distance. Uh, so he's uh, broadcasting with the Internet provided in a dorm room, and you know how that can go. So with these things in mind, um, if you have any ideas for shows, please uh, shoot us uh, some correspondence. The best way to hook up with us is probably on Facebook, um, but you can send uh, me an email at according to the scripture at mail dot com or uh well we have uh, Twitter and uh Facebook and Tumblr so uh if you have ideas shoot us uh, some correspondence let us know what you'd like to hear about what topic you'd like us to cover. Until next time ladies and gentlemen God bless Godspeed